You can't win, you can't tie, you can't get out of the game. <laughs> the first three rules of thermodynamics. <laughs> That's all they are. That's true, you're right. You can't win, you can't tie, you can't get out of the game. <laughs> true for everything. Okay. Here we go. Yeah. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn's Sunday School starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Ludo. Penn, Matt, Randy Rich, and I are broadcasting from Show Creator Studio South here in Las Vegas. On today's show, we've got the current world's greatest con artist, Brian Brushwood. Huzzah. He's the master of scam nation. He's a podcaster, magician, friend, and associate. And we'll talk about the meaning of life, free will, and how to trick people into doing whatever you want. Here he is preaching love, Mr. Pendulette. Jesus, Goudot, you're getting pretty good at the introduction. Only taken you used to years. be you used to be pure suck, <laughs> and now once in a while they sound okay. You're really, really moving Thank ahead. You. you know, I wanted. Um, Let's dig into this a little bit. Let's dig into the morality a little bit. There's this trap people fall into. Yeah. And um, we see it. We know all the people that, that do this, where their little love of magic when they're 12 or 13 or 14, they all of a sudden start getting hard-ons for the people who do it for real. You know, people that do it for real. People that really do cheat at cards. Right. People that really do. And I remember, um, and I'm not going to, say any names on this, but there was a, uh, a pickpocket who, uh, who I got a little friendly with then fell out with. The reason I fell out with him was he would talk about his stage pickpocketing stuff that he did. It was all very interesting, like you talking about the stage hypnosis and stuff. And then he started coming to our show and saying, I'm bringing back, you know, two people who are actually arrested for pickpocketing and did time in prison. Right. And I was going, these are... Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Not the people I want to be involved with. And the idea that someone that's good at cons, you know, also falls into this is, is Mammoth. You know, oh, sure. Mammoth ends up aggrandizing um, bad people. And what I always like to point out when people will talk about how good the sleight of hand is on a three-card money person is I will point out to them, yes, and if you were able to win, the people that are watching along with you, they take in the back alley and beat the shit out of you and take your money. There's no line that we have to do this with cleverness. And all the scams and cons that we rave about are usually done on lonely old people. Right. Well, and uh, I think that the part that we romanticize is uh, we when you see a decent story about a scam or a con, there's invariably many, many pieces to it, all of which have to exactly work. That's part of that's part of why Operation Mincemeat is such a fascinating story because it begins with um, James Bond, uh, uh, creator Ian Fleming, coming up with the idea of dropping a dead body filled with a bunch of lies and a false location. And it gets filed away in a filing cabinet, gets discovered later, gets dropped off the coast of Huelva, Spain, where there are no Nazi sympathizers. And everybody crosses their fingers as they watch, hoping the right person gets the right documents and copies them. And they then they follow it up the chain. And, you know, there's a moment that Joseph Goebbels says, yeah, this sounds like bullshit, but it definitely does end up on Adolf Hitler's desk. And he has to decide whether he's going to reinforce uh, the Balkans or Sicily and he makes the, the wrong decision uh, we love those 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 uh, multifaceted stories uh, but the truth is you're a 
100% right. Real cons are dumb and simple. They boil down to um, one moment. I mean, real frauds are, uh, there's no money in being clever. There's money in the money, right? But even if you want to be clever, there's basically two sides of it. There, the, the advantage that the con has, or the magician, uh, let's say the kind of light side, dark side here, the magician slash con man, our advantage is a huge asymmetry of time. We get to spend months and months and months memorizing a deck, learning secret moves, uh, preparing stuff or whatever. But the moment for the mark is this single tableau where they do all the convincing themselves. Their tool is the gut feeling that they have about whether this is right or wrong. Gavin DeBecker in his book, uh, The Gift of Fear, calls, uh, it calls it the gift of fear. He explains, you know, the, you know, we don't have tough scales. We don't have sharp claws. We don't have awesome eyes. We have one thing. We have a remarkably finely honed sense of intuition when something is off. And very often, for social reasons, we will talk ourselves out of like, no, but it can't be that. This isn't really happening. And then those are the people that run into trouble. But ultimately, the decision to take what is not yours, it's fascinating when it happens to use the same tools that I love about magic. Because in magic, the, the success condition is checkmate. Uh, I'm going to remove all the things that are possible. You, after checkmating, will say, I can conceive of no possible way this happened. I am now experiencing wonder, which is a gift, right? Mm -hmm. And there are in the world of magic, there are two schools of thought. One is, okay, your job is to go into this village and be the best chess player. Uh, one way to do it is to study all the book moves, watch all the games of the greats, practice, 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 come in, be the best chess player. The other is to do a protectionist racket and say, I declare nobody should know the rules of chess except for me. Now I am the world's <laughs> best chess player in this village. <laughs> and those are the people who get upset when, you know, when uh, both of us teach anything in mm -hmm. any kind of uh, forum. Uh, but in the world of cons, well, someday we'll both be in England and we'll go outside the magic circle and just stare there's a, inside. There's a wonderful Indian restaurant right around the corner <laughs> where we can go and have uh, have our supper. <laughs> but but you're so right because when it comes to the actual crime, and that's actually the challenge of writing World's Greatest Con is finding stories that are interesting enough that give us enough of a, a good World's Greatest Con story reveals enough of a mysterious underworld. Uh, borrowing heavily from what magicians already know or what we've seen from con men or whatever. There's a little bit of Brian Tall Tales from the road, but the bulk of it is just the story itself is fascinating. Like, um, you know, we talked about the 21 scam. Talk, talk more about the 21 thing. So they were all given, just don't commit perjury. Uh, well, that that's how that we, we begin at the end. I've never understood why uh, the government gets involved in fucking game show. I mean, and I don't understand why the government, and you're going to have to explain this to me, Matt, why the government's involved in baseball or any of that shit at right, all. Right, right. Why, I mean, why, why is that a government thing? I mean, well, first I'll say it always goes well. Go <laughs> uh, <Brian. laughs> I mean, the, 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 the answer is, is despairingly transparent, which is uh, people want to get reelected and they want to be known for a thing. What's the thing people care about? I'll be the guy to fix the thing, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but the, in the 21 case, Dan Enroyd, uh, this is a time when, uh, and I love this question, is a game show, is it a game or is it a show? Because if it's a game, that means it's a sport, which means fixing a sport is 
a crime. If it's a show, then it's wrestling. And it's just, it's the same as, as Shakespeare or whatever. And so in these early days, you had somebody like Dan Enright who was figuring it out. You could see him make some mistakes early on because his early uh, uh, cohorts tend to be people that he's like, all right, we're going to cheat. I'm going to give you the answers, but don't worry. I'll give you a career in television afterwards. That guy had the moral upper hand. And once his run was over, once he took a dive, he was angry and ashamed. Again, this is fame and shame. He wanted to stick it to Dan Enright, so he was the whistleblower. So Dan Enright real quick figures out, okay, I'm never going to make that mistake again. Everyone else is given a new deal. They're like, hi, would you like it to get paid $10,000 to appear on my show as a contestant? And depending on how you do with the points, we'll call them dollars. They're really points. There are incentives for you to make even more money. And who knows, you may be on the cover of Time Magazine. So those are the people, because they accepted the bargain, they bought into it. They weren't betrayed. They had nothing to be ashamed of, or, or they, had, they had lots to be ashamed of, more than the guy who, who found out and got dumped. Uh, uh, those are the ones who end up perjuring themselves at the end of the story. The weird part is that you can't shame the shameless. Dan Enright, during all of this, just skips the country for a while, comes back, makes the jokers wild, just keeps on going, never admits to any kind of wrongdoing. The closest he ever gets is when the quiz show movie is going to come out. He announces, I ain't seen this movie, but apparently I'm the villain. I'm going to make a movie that tells the real story. And then he dies before it comes out. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but likewise, was he ever making a movie? No, uh, uh, you know, who knows? Uh, he was, he was, he was up there, but, uh, but that's the story of, he bought, he bought final draft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, that's a story of the powerful screwing over the little guy, but there's also wonderful stories of the little guy screwing over the man. Uh, have you heard the Michael Larson press your luck story? No. Okay, so you remember the game Press Your Luck, uh, 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 Big Money, No Whammy. No Whammy. It's a, a pretty cheap, uh, uh, basic cable thing. The idea is, uh, theoretically, you could win unlimited dollars if you just kept pressing your luck, and the randomizer might end up on more money, might end up on a whammy, which is basically the bankrupt tile on Wheel of Fortune, right? I don't know this at all. Oh, so really? It, okay. It was like a rectangle, like a splashy rectangle with different squares of prizes and whammies. And they kept switching places. Okay. You watch the light go around the board randomly and just hit stop. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. But is it kind of like a uh, uh, the carnival thing? The um, You talking about Razzle? Uh, uh, yeah. Ra- yeah, Razzle. So picture a giant game board that is eight squares by eight squares by eight squares by eight squares, just all in a ring. And you've got uh, uh, flashing lights jumping upper left, lower right, uh, all around, while also all of the images in each of the squares are switching, you know, from a vacation to Tahiti, $5,000 plus a free spin, all of that stuff. It looks very, very chaotic and random. And the only physical thing is you hit a button and it stops. And, and that's why they say big money, no whammies, stop. So in this case, what Michael Larson did, and to get the idea, like all he knew is that there's probably something clever I can figure out. So he buys 12 televisions, stacks them all up against the wall. There is so much heat coming out the back that it is melting the paint off of the walls. He's watching everything on the same time. And he notices, press your luck, has one line where it's like, the prizes are theoretically unlimited. And so he starts recording every single episode and he starts watching the randomized pattern and he realizes that there are only four pre-established patterns. And he also notices that in each of the four patterns, there is one safe spot. 
And so he practices using the pause button on his VHS for days and days and days and weeks and weeks and weeks until he gets to a point where he can always hit the safe spot. He doesn't know what he's going to win, but he knows that one spot is safe because they built the board for the pilot. So they did it on the cheap. And then once it got picked up, there was never a reason to improve it. So then he realizes, okay, I can't just walk on, say, hey, I broke your show. Let me play. He manufactures a sob story. He flies out there, but says he took a bus he wears the shabbiest shoot, suit that he could find. He talks about among his many jobs. At one point, he was an ice cream man. So he only mentions the ice cream man. He knows he needs a sob story. So he talks about how he couldn't afford a gift for his daughter. And that's why, he, why he's playing. And he misses the first one. But then he starts hitting. And now this is a world where $8,000 is a huge payout. He keeps going and going and going. Clears past the $100,000 mark. This is the time, like adjusted for inflation, even today, his record stands as the single biggest single day winnings ever. And uh, at this point, the other two competitors get pissed at him. And so when he cashes out and says, I'm done, they start handing him their free spins, which is something you're allowed to do. So now he has to play more, but ends up, ends up winning. So uh, they pause everything. It's bedlam. Uh, they, 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 the CBS team is like, how's he cheating? How's he done this? And finally, CBS, the, the, the head was like, guys, he, he broke the game. We got to pay him. And that's usually the end of the story is this guy won a whole bunch of money. But uh, what we found fascinating is the same drive that caused him to try to think around corners and to outsmart the man or whatever that doesn't go away. That's an addiction to that aha moment. It's the gambler's fallacy, mm -hmm. right? That you could do this again. And so he goes home where there's a radio contest where every day they say a bunch of random numbers. And if you have a dollar bill with the same numbers on it, you win a big prize. He has all hundred thousand plus, or I guess after taxes, I think it's 50 something thousand has them all made into $1 bills. Oh, come on. In shoeboxes. This is not true. This is absolutely true. <laughs> Every he takes the money from the other game show and gets it all in singles? Yes. has it all <laughs> and, and, and stashes it in shoeboxes wow. all throughout the house. Penn and it's, Teller did this just for fun, right? Yeah. <laughs> how, 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 much, how, how much money? Uh, I believe after taxes, it was well over $50,000. Uh, so I, there's 50,000 pieces of paper. Yep. And how many shoeboxes is that? Uh, I, 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 I would imagine at least five. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but his common-law wife, every single day, they read the numbers, they go through all the things or whatever. Day after day after day, they're not hitting. He's convinced it's got to hit sometime. Finally, it gets to Christmas, and she's like, sweetheart, just one night. Can we just go out for one night? They go out that one night. They come home. It's all been stolen. And then having nothing and having that uh, gambling addiction. He, someone steals all their money. Yep. Finds out that they've got shoeboxes full of, we could certainly trace that because it's right. hard. <laughs> it's hard to find used $1 bills. As, that is the perfect, $50,000 in $1 bills is the perfect thing you want to steal. Yeah, right? You need a van. No, also, other than that, yeah. No fencing, no nothing. Also, the person scouting this out is like literally waiting and, and Christmas is Christmas. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, oh, good. Christmas is it's here. Like, kids, you won't believe what Santa brought this and year. All, they all they think, all they house. think is that you're a stripper. Because I remember, uh, I remember there was a, uh, there was a stripper in town who wanted help uh, buying a computer. You know, and we went into a computer store and bought our, all our computer stuff in ones. 
<laughs> and crumpled ones that smelled of beer that had been in her G-string. That is awesome. You know, because uh, street performers and strippers have singles. Uh, <laughs> on the flip side, uh, you know, there's that hacker convention, DEF CON. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people like to pay in $100 bills, uh, which is great when you're in Vegas. Uh, but then when you co go home, like in Texas, nobody wants your $100 bill. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Also, we know because the uh, DEF CON is at the Rio, and that's when we have to turn down, turn off all our Wi-Fi, turn off all our computers. <laughs> we can't have anything operating then when we're doing the show. So that's the only time there's no Wi-Fi at the Benadella Theater. Uh, so the uh, the denouement of Michael Larson's story is uh, he does like a 1-900 possibly fake lottery, but he uh, is active in internet Usenet news groups back in the day, early 90s. And so the FBI credits him as being the first internet fraud case that they ever investigated. And what was he doing? Oh, the fraud was the lottery? Was the promoting the, the, the dubious, you know, the vague promises of we're partnering with the so-and-so tribe and that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, and the last uh, recorded interaction with him is him calling from a county jail in, in Florida. And then he uh, uh, basically dies penniless. Uh, he dies of the addiction, basically. Well, that's, you know, that's the, uh, that's what I call the Jonesy fallacy. <laughs> well, you know, Jonesy says, well, you know, OJ got away with killing his wife. Why does he just stay totally cool after that? <laughs> and you go to Jonesy because guys who kill their wives don't stay totally cool. Jonesy, you know, Never it's were. That, although there is the example, and I guess we'll talk about this when we wouldn't be uh, involved in, in, in federal investigations. But there is a case, and I think you probably might know what I'm talking about, of a gambling scam that was run in Vegas and in Reno and in um, Tahoe, where a group took down millions of dollars with a gambling scam and then stopped, and none of them went into. Oh, that's right, and, and because that that, that it, they were the unicorn. Like that, yeah. that's the thing that never happened. Never. is we're going to do one gig, and that's it, and we'll never have to worry about it again. And they all went on to have straight jobs and do 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 fine, do fine after that. It's so bonkers, but it's very very hard. Um, I, I ended up really flipping back the other way entirely. I now find no joy in the reality of cons whatsoever. And there's this, there's this folklore among magicians that the people who do it for real are the ones who are better. And we know that's absolutely not true. Right. That, that that's uh, all self puffery yeah. to, to make your double lift seem more important. Yeah. The magician. Magicians have it much harder than con people because you know what you're walking into. You're walking into someone who's trying to run a scam on you, distort your reality. Whereas uh, in a con, you you don't have that advantage. You don't know you're walking, well, you're and, walking and, into it. And you don't have, uh, like the great part about uh, the magic version, and again, the structure is astonishingly parallel, but the difference with magic is at the moment of success, everybody claps and you know it. With a con, the moment of realization that you've been had doesn't happen for months or years later. I would also say that, 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 that the movement through is not the same because in a magic trick, everyone is in on it every second. Right. You're in on it every single second. When you go to a Penn & Teller show, uh, you don't spend any time at all saying, we're just living our life normally. You say, we're coming to a magic show. We know they're going to be lying to us all the time. Right. Uh, you know, the people that I know 
I know a couple of people who do, who have done, they don't continue to do card cheat stuff for home poker games. Mm -hmm. And their claim is everyone knows this is a scam. They're all in on it. And, and I say, well, then why would they come to your scam? But they insist that everyone knows it's happening. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Uh, people that do home poker games yeah. uh, who have hired card cheats mm -hmm. as their dealer so that they win. Mm -hmm. to make it possible for them to win. And their claim is that everyone who plays in that poker game knows that this is a scam. He's saying the victims are aware. The victims... How could they be aware? And I don't understand it, and I have mentioned this to them, and they say, no, no, they're all aware that this is what's going on and that this is just how that, that world works. Wait, wait, wait. So are you saying that the... Right. That the... Yes. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, that I, is what I'm saying. And I, I don't believe that's true. And they use it to justify why they did it or how they did it and how much money they made. Boy, there's some sort of self-delusion there. <laughs> I, I, I could picture for a bachelor party or birthday, you know like the four of us it's like hey man there's this guy who claims to be a real cheat i'm gonna hire him air quotes i'm gonna give him 200 bucks to make me the winner you want to come watch and we'll just play the game and then that's the not i don't believe that's what they're doing i believe people are coming legitimately to play poker yeah and gamble i also what you just described i think that's a really good hypothesis except that it's never happened once ever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's I mean, an idea well, for a that, show. That hurts it's, it somewhat. Hey, yeah. It does. It does. Uh, not not having a single success case. Yeah. Uh, the, hey, guys, uh, can we stop having Brian's ideas for my bachelor party? <laughs> <laughs> uh, ba back to your point, Penn. Uh, the part that is the magic show uh, in the world, of, as, as I describe it, in the scams and cons world, would be what I consider the tableau. And, and for me, it's the... Uh, you know, we open the whole series with, uh, I'm at a Home Depot, there's a van pulls up, a couple dudes jump out in jumpsuits, maybe they're exterminators, maybe they're Ghostbusters, they say they got a couple extra speakers left over, they installed them at a titty bar, I knew the titty bar, so I knew that part was real, they showed me in a magazine, these are worth $2,000 each monitor, we'll give them to you for 300 bucks. I perceive that I am seeing right through the ruse, and I know these are stolen speakers, so I gladly buy them for $300, and then I walk away feeling like I pulled a fast one on the man. Um, and uh, it wasn't for months later till I met my girlfriend's uh, brother who was like, oh, you saw one of those guys. I'm like, one of those guys, what do you mean? And then I found out that I got got. So so the asymmetry is they knew- You just got inferior speakers. Yeah, they're shit, they're shit speakers, yeah. Uh, uh, so the asymmetry- Which we would also say possibly good speakers- it's an entirely <laughs> bigger scam. Yes, 100%. 100%. <laughs> yeah. It's possible. The legit that, scam. That, Ready that, may disagree, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 in that regard, the performance uh, is is what I think of as the tableau. All all of the focus into that first impression and and all of the work mm -hmm. done by the mark on themselves. Uh, and, and in that regard, I, I do think it tracks to a magic show because uh, uh, it's the person who has to be convinced that they had a free choice. You, you don't mm -hmm. tell them you definitely had a free choice. They believe, they choose right. to believe it and, and on and on to, to where they get checkmated. Well, it's, it's, it's like that cliche of you, you know, you can't cheat an honest man. You actually can. But a lot of scams do use the person doing something that is not on the up and up. Right. Uh, you know, often, often you, you get a, um, even in, in three card Monty, there's a class system thing that happens. You know, this guy's just a street guy and I've, I've been around, so I'm able to outsmart them and they don't know this. 
And uh, so it's, you know, the scams where somebody's entirely legit uh, exist. Yes. But not all the time. Well, and, and in that case, if we want to pull back and extend the metaphor, then it's not a matter of honesty or dishonesty. It's a matter where the narrative that you want so much to believe overpowers that Gavin DeBecker gift of fear, that gut mm -hmm. feeling. And all of a sudden, the upstairs part says, yeah, but if I defend the right part, I can definitely block the allies. And, and, you, and, and, and it overtakes what you know in your gut. It makes all the more sense. Mm -hmm. But uh, Yeah. And also the fact that that feeling in your gut can also be pleasant. Oh yeah, and that's and that's the other part. You know, it's kind of like uh, with 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 Trump, which is a uh, you know, which is constant cons. He's saying it's okay to hate, and we know it's wrong to hate. And someone tells us it's okay to hate, we have a, a titillation that comes from that. You know, we all know that racism is deeply wrong on every level. Right. Not not only. It's absolutely not true, but also it's morally wrong. So when someone comes along and gives you carte blanche for that kind of hate that you have, you also get that that titillation. So in the in the um, in the rock box example you're using, I, let's not call it that the um, the uh, the van, the speaker scam, yeah, the, the, sh the shitty speakers, white van. Not only, not only do you have something for nothing, but you also have this. This feeling in your gut that is fear and should be, don't do this, that actually gives you a hard on. Well, it, it, exactly. It gets misunderstood for excitement. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, in Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, that um, we try to live by system two thinking, the cognitive upstairs stuff, but but at, at some base level, it's like, oh, but but buying stolen speakers, that'd feel good. That's that system one thinking yeah. uh, where, where it's is like, that, I'd feel like a winner. Uh, I think system one is the intu intuitive one. And system really? two okay. is the cognitive one. I, 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 I may be wrong. I, I know that when you talk to people about this, it always seems to flip back and forth. You, you should have come up two. with like animal names for it. Or he should have just come up with, you know, intuitive and logical. Yeah. And he would have been fine. <laughs> but uh, I get very confused with the system, the system one and the system two stuff. It's right there in the title, Penn. <laughs> 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 it is. It's right there in the title. God damn it. Okay, everybody, I'm going to take a little break right now and tell you about Trade Coffee, which, by the way, is a great idea for Father's Day. It's a great idea. I'm in Australia now, which is why we're doing bank shows, and uh, I miss my coffee. And I'm never a guy who misses coffee. I'm not, a, you know, I do like coffee. I do like coffee, but I never really cared like what coffee it was, and then Trade Coffee, you know, they set you up with this subscription, right? You fill out this form, this questionnaire, it's really easy to do, and tell them about the kind of coffee you want. They send you really good coffee. I know this doesn't matter to anybody else, but they also have decaffeinated. It's really, really good. Uh, I got like two or three different kinds of coffee, you know, every month it comes, and it's, uh, it's really good. 
all these sorts of different kinds. And it's also like, you know, you're going with small roasters, individual small stores. It's all, you know, morally, it's all right. Everything's, you know, sustainable and the people are treated right and everything's really good. Uh, Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. It's really great. And it's expert tasted coffee. These people know coffee. They set it up for you. They go over the questionnaire. It's really, really good. It's a really good idea for Father's Day. Just go on, answer a couple questions, have a subscription set. If you're not happy, they fix it for you. They make it really, really good. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash pen. You know that, right? That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. My voice went that high because that's how good it is. <clears throat> Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash pen and let Trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drink trade.com slash pen for $30 off. And don't forget about Father's Day coming up, a trade subscription, the perfect gift for the coffee lovers in your life. Trade coffee, check it out, wicked good. Hey, let me just tell you this, my book, Random, my brand new book is coming out. It's a detective thing. Uh, I'm really proud of it. And there's a special offer we got for everybody where you get a hardcover book. I'll sign it for you. And you also get this chat book, which you never knew what that was, neither did I. But it's a short story book that's just for the people that buy in advance. It's really nice. They laid it out nice, made everything pretty. And you also get some dice and they got my name on them and they're, they're really cool. So all of it's really great. And Reddy's going to... You know, he'll edit in stuff so you can find it. But buy it. Check it out. I, I'm pretty proud of it. I, I, I think you'll like it. I think it's a pretty good book. And it's a really good deal. I had the uh, publisher make a good deal for Penn Sunday School people. So do it. You can find that at patreon.com slash pen. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash P-E-N-N. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's another question, though. When you're doing the bar scam stuff, sure, bar scam stuff is never meant to really rip someone off. Is that correct? correct? You, well, never. Uh, so, so, um... that, that is a, a way of presenting a puzzle. Or a fun magic trick. Correct, and and it, it might be might be the biggest misconception about uh, scam school and scam nation because uh, when many people hear the conceit of the show, they 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 roll their eyes. Uh, in fact, Neil Patrick Harris immediately was like, "Yeah, I never like bar scams. It's always like, ah, I got you. I'm right. Now give me a beer or whatever." Uh, but truthfully, there's there's three things that Spot happen. Spot on, Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> <laughs> The, but uh, really, there's three phases. There's uh, uh, openers, tweeners, closers. Remember what uh, in the last episode we talked about uh, the fixed action pattern that makes us want to reciprocate. We hate owing people anything, right? Yeah, well, the, the, the con and confidence is that you give them 
the confidence, not the other way around. Exactly, right? So uh, so an opener, like I don't want to harvest anything. Anybody who walks up to a stranger and says, hey, pick a card, you're, al- you're already trying to harvest something from me. You, you, you're, wanting, you're stealing unearned attention. So instead, if I walk and maybe uh, light a match and eat it, maybe I light a match and do a couple, something that, that, that requires nothing of you, but out of the corner of your eye, you say, whoa, whoa, what was that? Do that again. And then you, of course, you don't do it again. You say, oh, did you like that? What are they going to do? Say no. They just ask you to do it again. You're like, yeah. You're like, do you want to see another? What are they going to do? Say no. They're like, yeah, show me another. Now they've shown you another. Now you've built up enough value. You can make a very small, modest harvest. Something like, then you could pull out a deck of cards and say, I got something that'll take like two minutes. All you have to do is remember a card. Can you do that? And then you do, now you've provided more value. And what's happening is this feels fun to them, but what you're doing is you're earning real estate in their mind. You are, you are slowly leeching uh, 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 this space. And now they slowly begin to feel like, wow, this has been a really fun 10 minutes. I owe this person something. And then the, what we think of as the bar bet, the gotcha, the unbeatable puzzle, the I bet I can do this without that. If I could, would that be worth a MacGuffin, your phone number, the beer, whatever. Uh, at th- that, that is your harvesting moment that uh, only after 15 minutes of solid entertainment are they glad that you finally have asked are for a way. Are they ever really used that way? I mean, I don't go to bars, so I don't know. I, but aren't they mostly used to show your friends that are already friends? Uh, I think mostly, yes. Uh, but but um, I, w- when I first started assembling these, I had that same question. is like, could I walk into a, 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 a Holiday Inn bar room not knowing a single goddamn person and get everybody to buy my drinks the entire night? Uh, I learned two lessons at night. First of all, never drink with a mission. Uh, and two, yes, uh, they, they, they absolutely can, provided that you use that framework where you begin with the gift, then you enhance value, and then you harvest with a, 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 a MacGuffin op- opportunity. But there is nothing there uh, that is a scam and nothing there that is a con. That is correct. Uh, uh, yes. That just that's just social interaction. That's really beautiful. Uh, and, There's and, no downside to this at all, right? There's no negative. No one's being hurt. That that is anyway. Yes. Try to drive home after. But uh, I, I would say the only uh, I would say that the words scams and cons and all that stuff are really they're 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 cosplay. They're they're dressing. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, mm-hmm. it's you, you're not actually Darth Vader, but you know, you want to dress up like Darth Vader sometimes. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. I mean, maybe I want to dress up like okay, Darth Vader okay. sometimes. I think, well, one is, I think, uh, is that Brian's actually using a definition of MacGuffin that you and Teller would agree with? Uh, no. Okay. No, he's using a definition of MacGuffin that's different than, than Hitchcock's definition of MacGuffin, okay. I believe. But remember, Teller's still going, still trying to teach Joshua J. How the word Joshua MacGuffin is used and teaching trick. teaching Joshua J uh, anything is is kicking a dachshund uphill. <laughs> <laughs> but tell here we go. We go to our previous show talking about mentoring. Teller will try to teach Joshua J what a MacGuffin is. I will not. Wait, well, and, and all I mean is like uh, I, so. So when when we first formed the YouTube channel, like in my mind, I drew a circle around what I imagined people who want to learn magic tricks from the internet. And I was like, okay. And then I drew a much bigger circle around people who want to be the most interesting person in the room. Uh, and, and, and so for the first three or four years, I would never say the M word. I, I avoid, we called it oh. the show 
dedicated to social engineering at the bar and on the street. Yeah, and, that was uh, you know we wouldn't use we wouldn't use magic ever in, the, in when we were off Broadway. And and uh, we're weren't allowed to say any press releases, any interviews, nothing. We'd never say the word magic. What changed? What what? Oh, uh, we got well known enough. Yeah. So yeah, that's all you got to do. And and uh, as soon as. As soon as people knew the name Penn and Teller, we could then be humble and say we're magicians. Yeah. But until they knew the name Penn and Teller, we could not be that. We had to be something else. Uh, we were talking about this right before the show. Um, when the pandemic happened, it broke our entire method because part of the reason that Scam School, Scam Nation did so well is because uh, it, almost all magic tutorials on the internet were a pair of hands, a, a, a face that would not show itself. And uh, a, a mumbling voice. Uh, there was no social proof. It was not done with real people. There was no way for me to know if this was a good trick or a bad trick. So that's why we went out into actual restaurants and bars. And um, we always had the A block and the B block. The A block is, let me show the trick. Let me make it look very good. Uh, hopefully you're amazed. B, let me teach you, a non-magician, how to do the trick. And this is the part. Uh, the difference between teaching and exposure is when the lesson is over... Can you perform the trick? If you can perform the trick, you have learned a lesson. You have not had it, it, something ruined or taken away, right? So this, the C block is now you, who have never done a magic trick before, perform it back for me. And it does two things. First of all, uh, it, it proves that the people at home can learn it. But more importantly, they tend to make the exact right mistakes that create all these teachable moments. Everything from how to handle the deck of cards or you know spreading them the wrong way, that kind of stuff. Uh, but all of that broke during the pandemic because we couldn't go out to restaurants. Well, you know, I I have, uh, it's always interesting to me. I, I, um, I have given credit for doing, uh, for doing, you know, different things. I've written books and I've been on TV and I've done stuff like that. But uh, I won Jeopardy once. I won Jeopardy once. Yeah. I did. So but what? I, without cheating, it's well, maybe a little. <laughs> um, but um, but uh, the one thing I've never done is the one thing people think I've done, which is magic, which I've never done. I've never done close-up magic really for anyone. And the exceptions have been, there are some, yeah. you know, but there are probably fewer than 100 ever in my life. I have never had the personality to be able to say, want to see a trick. Right. I can't even do it for my friends. It's just not part of how I can see myself. And I can segue into a joke that's a long joke, and I can hold the center of attention in a group of people beyond the breaking point of what's polite. I can do all of that without feeling any sort of crushing. But I would learn really, really hard and very good, and I would think fairly well-written card tricks that I would practice and have never done. Tell her can actually do tricks for people, you know, when he meets them. If I'm not on a stage, I've never broken through that. Never. I, I have much the same disease. I can't bring myself to say, do you want to see a trick? But I will ask, hey, do you know any good magic tricks? And if the answer is no, and then I might, you know, ask like, how do you break the ice at things? Or like, it's the old salesman's trick of the person asking the questions is the one in charge of the conversation. And oftentimes organically, there may be a moment where I'm more comfortable, like, would you like to learn a trick? And then once we learn a trick, then again, I want to provide value first. And then 
it's it's almost like I'm selfishly like, oh, I don't know, can I show you this this one trick here? And then hopefully, you know, end end on a high there. But you know, Mike Close, Mike Close can yeah. just say, want to see a trick. Yeah. And it's so natural and so nice and so wonderful and always a positive experience. Your your wife can get uh, us to the front row of anything. Yeah. I can't possibly talk to an usher without them being really mad at me instantly for having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, it's really funny. I am not, uh, I am not uh, good in, it, there's a size group that I've never found a way to handle. I can talk to people one-on-one yeah, and I can talk to 10,000 people, <laughs> but that group of four or five I completely crushes me. Yeah. I have real trouble with that. And you've seen me at get-togethers at our house. Mm-hmm. I usually <laughs> sit over in the corner. I hide. No. That's a group, a number of people that I'm very uncomfortable with. I would say three to 50 is the number of people that I just can't find a way to be around and be comfortable. I even remember a phase where you were actually trying to do what Close does, where you were trying to work on Johnny's pump deck mm-hmm. at your house. Mm-hmm. And you fucking hated it, and you stopped. I had to stop it. <laughs> and I still work on the stuff. Yeah. I work on the stuff Johnny taught me all the time, yeah. and it'll never be seen. It is epistemologically <laughs> empty. It might as well be life on planets enough light years away that we could never know about it. That's what my magic is. There is something about the uh, when, I, when I was touring full-time at colleges, the magic number was 50, because below 50, nobody wanted to volunteer to help. Above fifty, everybody wanted to volunteer mm-hmm. to help. Yeah, uh, it, the, that amorphous—it's—it's it's some it's that uh, that mushy middle between a a person and a mob. Yeah, mm. but it's also for me writes down 50. the difference between <laughs> sitting with a group of people and standing up in front of them. Once I'm standing up in front, I'm fine. But I'll be I'll be backstage at, at corporate events, and um, uh, when I'm going to be giving a 45 minute lecture as they call it euphemistically and uh, i mean i was on a bit I, this is incredible they had a person who had done the first beating heart outside the body wow they had had they had daniel Kahneman. wow and they had me and i was the, i was the closer <laughs> and uh i was going to go on stage and i knew i don't think anybody else did not the people that were paying me that I had no idea what I was going to talk about. No idea. I was scheduled to do 45 minutes and a 15-minute Q&A. They'd flown me out. They'd hired me. I was going to do it. I remember the, uh, the, the guy who booked me said to me, I, I, I can't wait to hear what you're going to talk about. And I said, me too. <laughs> no idea. I, no idea. I, and I know all these little bits I can go to and stuff, but I was going to go out there and hold the mic and go out and talk, which... In lists of fears of things, that would scare a lot of people very, very much. But backstage, I was not with Kahneman. I never met him because we did not overlap. Right. We were, I had, he'd flown out before I flew in, uh, which really bummed me. I really wanted to do it to be able to meet him. But backstage, where there were like 10 people sitting around just talking, interacting, oh, fucking nightmare yeah. i just got, i got my head straight down i can't make eye contact someone tries to start a conversation you know i really like your show fool us thank you right so do uh how many people fool you on that show it's about 12 percent. 
Well, it, it's it's tough because uh, it's not hard to get a hold of, uh, you know, because you want to get books, so your phone number's out there, right? And then you develop a, a fan base or whatever, and they uh, are very pleased to find your phone number. And they'll uh, sometimes my phone will ring; it'll be the toll-free number. By the way, when you call the number, it says you are calling Brian Brushwood's phone number. It is about to go to Brian Brushwood's cell phone number. When he answers, he will say, "This is Brian Brushwood." He will be in the middle of something else, maybe disciplining his children, maybe out on a run. It will be awkward. And, and then I pick up the phone, I answer, I say, hello, this is Brian Brushwood. Invariably, is this Brian Brushwood? <laughs> I'm like, yes. And they're like, um, I'm a fan. I'm like, cool, what can I do for you? And they immediately have a very simple question. They're like, uh, in this episode, uh, what kind of cards do you use? I'm like, these cards. And they're like, great, thanks, bye, click. And then immediately, 30 seconds later, the phone will ring again from the same number. And then this time... They'll have like five, seven, eight questions. And, and, and I'm like, what is happening? What is going on? And I, and I realized they don't actually have any questions. They're bull riding. They're at the rodeo. The reward is the amount of time. They're counting the number of seconds <laughs> that they have me on the phone. Uh, so I, I, uh, I would say that two-word answers is a very effective strategy to keep people from bull riding on, <laughs> on, on you. Well, I found, uh, but I found the opposite. You know, it used to be... Um Boy, this was a hard lesson to learn, and I may have I may have learned it wrong. But when I f I used to be um, insane in the world, um, I would say anything to anybody, have any sort of interaction. I would rip apart places, and then I got on Letterman, and my friend Doc Swan, who's known me all before and after, said the day you on Letterman is the day you stop being funny. Said you have not been funny a moment since you were on Letterman <laughs> because before that you were funny in the world. And after that, you're only funny for money. Letterman just changed you entirely. And I think, that's not true. I, I think I know what he means in a certain sense though, because uh -oh. what, yeah, yeah, that's not true. Thanks, Brian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, I found this thing, man, it was really traumatic, uh, and I'm using I'm just using Letterman as a as a symbolic example. The first time, first few times, uh, not from the live show because that happened much earlier, but the first time from national television exposure. Stern was not national at the time, but Letterman said that live and so on. People would come up to me and say, you know, are you Penn? And I would turn and I would say, it was popped into my head. Try, try to be funny, really, really aggressive. And the first couple of people went like, oh, I, I just can't compete with that. I shouldn't have talked to you. Oh. And the heartbreak, I thought, boy, this is going to be great because they recognize me from TV. Won't it be nice when they get to meet the guy that's on TV? I was, I was in that head, and I saw that it hurt them. So I went that day to thank you sign we're done right and uh it turned out to be a kind of humility so it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying and then i found the biggest secret taught to me by senator daniel moynihan uh not directly from him although i did know him but taught from his senior advisor lawrence o'donnell jr of course who um who said to me uh, the two best people I've ever seen at dealing with strangers coming to them talking are you and Dan Moynihan. And the only thing uh, he does different than you, he did different than you, is he asked the person's name. And that is the secret. 
to all social interaction. Hi, are you Pen and Pen and Teller? Uh, yes, I am. Very nice to meet you. What's your name? Bill. Nice to meet you, Bill. Done. Uh, Everybody's happy. Uh, the only the only other thing that that I've noticed is, uh, boy, am I thankful that everyone has cell phones because that is the end that is the end punctuation point of the interaction. It's great to see you. Awesome. Your name? Oh, how cool! I was just going to so and so. Oh, do you want to do a selfie real quick? And they're all, it's always a surprise to them, and it's always the the end of the interaction. Well, I, uh, it, for me, it's often they start with, "Can I get a Can I get a selfie?" What I needed was the was the answer of you have to bring them up to the same level right because as long as you say celebrity and fan for me it is heartbreaking and impossible soon as i know their name which by the way i can forget instantly i never have to use it again no dale carnegie i'm not trying to get anything out of them <laughs> i just say their name Boom. They come up to my level. We are two equal people. Then we can say, hello, nice to meet you. And we can walk away happy. And the amazing part is you can even add, you could say their name and then follow it up with the words, I'll probably forget that. And then uh, they'll be like, that's fine. And, and, and you remain on that same level. But I have to, and I did not know a way, but I'll tell you, uh, I, it changed me entirely. Because uh, I uh, very rarely, very rarely uh, try to say something funny. I very rarely try to say something interesting. It's please, thank you, nice to meet you. And that is it. And, and that is... Uh... And that's not because I don't want to give some of my heart. It's because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Right. And I would have never, ever predicted that, ever, ever in a, in a million years predicted that that's what it would do to me. That I would have guessed if people started recognizing me, I would have become more extroverted and that it would not make me more introverted. But it did the exact opposite. That is the great secret, is that the true asymmetry is not that the uh, uh, the famous person is, is, is bigger than the fan. It's that uh, the tally is always the same. Uh, the celebrity owes the fan everything. The fan owes the celebrity nothing. Always. Always. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so, so, so clear. Uh, and unless you, uh, my, my, my favorite answer to that is Bob Dylan, who was reported, you know, this is, I suppose, a fairly famous story. Someone got to him and said, it's so amazing, Mr. Dylan. I know everything about you and you know nothing about me. And Bob said, and let's keep it that way. <laughs> Which no one else in the world could get away with. No one else in the world get away with that. Because with Bob, it's it's surreal. And with anyone else, it would be just snotty. Yeah. You know, if you heard like Jack Black saying that, you'd say, fuck him. Yeah, right. yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> but Bob Dylan can can say stuff that no one else could get away with. But it, 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 it that, that's really true, the asymmetry. The other thing I found... And you probably have some 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 illumination on this, is that I believe that no one minds being recognized and no one minds not being recognized. What they can't stand is not knowing. Yes. So when you hear stories of Prince coming in in a full purple cape, or I remember hearing this story that was told disparagingly about Tommy Smothers, where someone got on an elevator with him and immediately pulled out it. Uh, yo-yo and started doing tricks. And they said, boy, he had to be the center of attention. I don't believe that's what's happening. I believe he's 
They're trying to know whether people know who they are or don't know who they are because that asymmetry of not knowing that took me a long time to get used to. It was really, really tough. Like I remember once going into a, a super, uh, not a supermarket, uh, a store looking at like that. electronics, going to an electronics store and asking a lot of questions about a television. And after I'd talked for like five minutes, the guy said, no problem, Penn. And I wanted to like, I wanted to die. <laughs> uh, the, the darkest moment like that that I've ever had was uh, there was a mix up on a hotel reservation. It was late enough and I was tired enough. We had just seen uh, uh, Roger Waters, The Wall, and mm -hmm. there was travel involved. And it's like, I just wanted to get to bed. Uh, guy decides to make a power play over whether the reservation was yesterday or today. Um, uh, it eventually gets escalated. Uh, I probably use some unkind words. Uh, it eventually, I call the toll-free number and wait and then until his desk is called, and then he puts it, he's like, okay, yes, yes, yes. He's like, I could check you in now. And it's like, I won the interaction, but, but, but in a hostile way that I was not at all proud of. And then, but I was just ready to go to bed. And then I checked my Twitter and, uh, uh, it just was one guy whose name I didn't recognize and said, dude, that guy behind the desk was a real dick, huh? And it was the one other person in the room who had watched the entire thing. Oh, <laughs> and I, like all of a sudden I realized, yeah, I don't, I don't ever get to be on bad behavior. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> well, when someday you'll find out that there's a website that, that reports how much everybody tips. Uh, I, 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 I got on that train early. <laughs> I, I tip like crazy. Yeah. Well, when you're, when you're street performer, you, you tip very well. I think any, any time I know there's a, a fragment of the internet that is very hostile to tipping, but I think once anybody, especially in America has worked a service job where you get tipped or whatever, uh, I, I, I love, I love the act of tipping. I'm uncomfortable when we're international and I don't. Oh, I disagree completely. I would much rather just pay an amount. Uh, oh, okay. uh, I, 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 I just want to be like, and you're great. <laughs> is, is, well, yeah, I also, and boy, this is hard to explain to people when I get really, really bad service. I tip really well. Oh, like a fuck you tip? It's a tip that when, when someone treats me badly, I want to make sure that they know that I'm gracious. Well, and, and also almost certainly they were having a rough day. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. And I also think that their punishment should be to have that exact job that they hate. Well, that's the biggest fallacy of all is people talking about their meritocracy judgments of tipping. Oh yeah. Total bullshit. Everyone just tips whatever they tip all the time. Yeah. And very rarely do they encounter anything that actually jostles them from their lane of tipping. That's really true. Isn't it? Yeah. No one tips. No one tips a different amount for different. And service. and and it it is also a a uh, economic fact that tipping is inherently racist, sexist, uh, sizist. Uh, 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 like the numbers don't lie. It's it's not a great system. But but at the end of the day, if I if I can, I want to give a little something extra to. Everyone. Yeah, but you know, the weird thing is doing percentages. Do we really believe that someone working at a fancy restaurant is hard working hard. harder? The people working at a diner, you uh, know? yeah. I mean, I mean, if anything, I I, I want to be able to tip them too. <laughs> I want to be I want to be like a, a Frank Sinatra, just well, tipping anyone. Well, that Frank Sinatra story, all the Frank Sinatra stories about tipping are great. Yeah. When he goes to a, a a party, there's a valet parker, and he gives a hundred dollar tip, and he says to him, uh, "Have you ever?" Uh, oh no, he says, "What's the highest tip you ever got?" And the guy says, "A hundred dollars," and Sinatra gives him two hundred. 
And Sinatra goes, who gave you the $100 tip? He says, you. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, people that I know, I mean, person that I know who had dinner with Sinatra said, everybody that walked over the table, Sinatra gave him a $100 bill. (laughs) Uh, It's it's so wild. Um, uh, I have a little online store. That's Instead of telling everyone to come to the uh, Real All Suites Hotel and Casino to see the Penn & Teller show, I tell people to go to scam stuff to buy magic uh, lock picks and that kind of stuff. So we have some- You pick locks? uh, uh, A little, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's enough bleed over with that hacker community, that sport lock picking. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, We got kits where you can build your own locks and then learn how to pick them and stuff. On the first day of the National Geographic TV show I did, I was like, uh, you know what would be neat as kind of a bonding thing is that we're going to be a crew of, what, seven to nine people. I'm gonna, I went to the store, grabbed a bunch of things, and on day one, made a moment individually, not as a group. And I was like, hey, man, we're going to be working together for six, eight weeks. Uh, uh, this is my favorite thing from the store. I hope you like it. And, and uh, it, there was two people, a uh, cameraman and a d- DP there. You're a really nice guy. I, I, I'm manipulative and evil. You're a nice guy. <laughs> but, but what's funny is that's, you, how, it, that's if, how it looks. If you're working with me... For three weeks, you don't get eye contact. <laughs> but, but the part that got me was was the cameraman said, I've worked in Hollywood for uh, 15 years, and nobody has ever started a shoot with a gift. And, uh, and then the DP said, me neither. And he goes, wait, no, once. It was a pilot, and it was you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, you, you're, you're a much nicer guy than anybody else. I actually, I just wrote that on Twitter. That uh, Brian's nicer. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. You sure were nice on Pentecost. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I did that where I went to play uh, two different magic locations, and I was like, oh, I gave everyone on the staff a, a gift card to Starbucks to start off the week. And the first staff flipped out, and then the second staff like didn't give a shit, so I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess that's why I like uh, like if, if if I have a book or something, something that's personal, you know, fr- you know, more from me. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. Like so I, I failed in my gift giving. I mean, that, that's a little close to give him a, hey, kiddo, $20 tip for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the problem with the Sinatra thing. You can't do it unless you're Sinatra. Right. Otherwise, it has to be uh, something personal. Yeah. But, uh, I, boy, boy, that, uh, I, I, all that stuff, I could not teach someone a trick. I could not. You know, it's like Teller writing you a four-page letter. That No one's got that story with me. <laughs> nope. nobody they get it what, what there's a lot of there's a lot of things they've said they've gotten thank you back thank you it's it's a delightful story but unfortunately it is a heavy curse because i don't get to be the guy who follows the advice of teller for uh, for you know 26 years and then starts to receive letters asking for advice and blow them off i have to I, I it's, it's what would teller do <laughs> it's, well, it's not, blowing them off name <laughs> blowing them oh first of all when anybody asks me for advice i can never believe it because it's like <laughs> i don't know shit um and i just uh i just uh boy i'm just not good at that well and now now luckily uh i've 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 posted the letter enough times that I'll say, uh, 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 have you read this letter, this exchange between me and Teller? I think you'll get a lot out of it. You know, and it's like a 15, 20 minute read. And so it, it, for, for a short little thing, it, it ends up, you know, having a high perceived value. Is there any advice in there that I would like? No. Uh, uh, he, he, uh, I, uh, I've never taken any advice from Teller. He, said, he says, uh, talk a lot uh, and have <laughs> a talented sleight of hand partner. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good advice. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so where where do they go to get everything? Brushwood. Uh, we, we need lock picks, man. If, Come on. If you want to buy stuff, uh, <laughs> scamstuff.com. That's gear for the modern rogue. Uh, but mainly, man, uh, give it a try. World's Greatest Con, season one and season two. Uh, even if you just listen to the first 10 minutes of episodes one and two, uh, that's all I ask. Because everyone who's listened has really said, this is different from anything I've ever heard from you. <laughs> to be clear, it's a, it's a podcast. Just to be Yeah, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's available everywhere. World's uh, Greatest Cut. And Ready Rich, what kind of safe do I have in my home? It's a uh, train safe. Because my dad had a safe. My dad was a coin dealer. My dad had a safe that uh, after he died... I actually got someone to bring a big, heavy train safe from uh, Greenfield, Massachusetts to Las Vegas, where I have it. And it has stuff in it. I don't know what. I can't get in it. So if you know someone who picks locks of this kind okay. and can get into it easily, that would be a fun thing. Uh, well, I don't think there's anything valuable in it, I, but I would like to know what is in it. I, I do know that uh, DEF CON is happening this year. It is. And I have a lot of friends who know friends. Well, that's why I was asking you, Reddy, what kind of safe it is. Because it's a, it's a big lock. It's a. I'll show you some pictures of it after we're done. Uh, Vinan talks with Lock Picking Lawyer about it. Oh, he's, sure. Yeah. We, 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 had, we had him out on uh, the Modern Rogue. Yeah. He's pretty cagey about what he could tell me for legal reasons. Yeah. He'll be here for DEF CON. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's funny, he came out and uh, accidentally got locked out of the art compound and told me, he's like, oh yeah, the code didn't work. I was like, well, did you? And he just he just gave me this withering stare. And I was, I was like, of course. Yeah, the, the uh, it's like presenting yourself as a real mind reader. You're backed into a corner yeah. of being proven you can't do it all the time. And telling, calling yourself an escape artist when Teller was locked in his dressing room <laughs> and couldn't get out in order to escape from a straitjacket, it was pretty goddamn funny. That's pretty great. <laughs> so if you're, if you're known as a lockpick expert and you're locked out of anything, it's just a, just a bad, bad thing. That's why I make it very, very clear I cannot do anything. Yeah. <laughs> then, you, then you can't be busted. Never, we're never disappointed. Never disappointed. <laughs> That's why Finland is the happiest country in the world. Exactly. Low expectations. <laughs> That's a secret to everything. Denmark. Thank you, Brian. Dude, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Ben Sunday School. Are you yawning? No. Cha cha cha. Oh no. You become naked. His jaw was dropping. He was he was uh, dozing off. He, he was just so amazed at that conversation. Got anybody to thank there, Matt Donnelly? Do I? People who support us on Patreon, I'm talking about Rachel Forrester and the person who can tell me what plate spring lessons are, Jobeth R. Bowers, Adam Stickney, Sax Guy Jimmy D, Nathan Julian, Some Guy in Shanghai, Christopher Harris, Manuel Vidal Perez de la Mesa V, Petty Officer Scoop, David K, David Peters, Nobody in Particular, Blue Drinks Films, Brandon Knapp, Nick Dingman, Colin Durham, TheBigScubaPodcast.com, Central Park Owl, Lancey Menchu, Stephen White, Harlan Liam Clark, Michelle Yeiser, Jonathan, and Brogan Hastings.